In the beginning there was nothing. And then, there were movies. The ancient human creation that served as time capsules of the past no longer exist. In the year 3000, the world is empty and sad, obsolete of the entertainment once made on celluloid. Now, two best friends have decided to dust off those relics from the past and power up their flux capacitors to discover the truth behind this way of storytelling and share it with the world. Join them today in this effort. Join Film Club 3000! Dad loves us. Mom loves us. Do we love them? Yes, we do. I love my brothers and sisters because they love me as well. The spring is flooding my house. The spring is flooding my little heart. My parents are proud of me because I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine, but I will always try harder. My house, you are beautiful, and I love you, and I will never, ever leave you. Fly me to the moon. Yay! Welcome, everybody. <laughs> this is Film Club 3000, a podcast exploring the history of filmographies. We're your hosts. I'm Kamari Bryant. I'm Cameron Lee Robinson. And each week, we take a deep dive into a collection of films to explore the origin, the trajectory, and ultimately the truth in these subjects. This is a series covering the films of Yorgos Lanthimos and postmodernism in Greek cinema. And today we are covering his breakout hit, Dogtooth. Dogtooth, yes. Breakout for real, for real, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, talk about a way to make your mark on the world of cinema (laughs) (laughs) with Dogtooth. (laughs) How have you been, Cam? You know, living life, watching movies. Living life, watching movies. Well, (laughs) actually not watching that many movies, to be honest. Okay. Um, (laughs) I did hit one that that was like really, really high on my list that I needed to watch, which was American American Fact. Action is oh, not wow. the name so, of the movie. Sounds like a different type of movie right there. American Fiction. I did finally watch that and I loved it. Thoroughly enjoyed. Nice. Thoroughly enjoyed that film. I mean, I like the thing is I knew I was gonna love that movie just because based on what I had known of it, I I loved the premise. I love the cast and the creative team. And wasn't expecting for it to like kind of rip me open the way that it did. Did it rip? <laughs> it did. I think it hit me at like a very specific place. I don't know. Family dramas always kind of get me because because, yeah, know. I had a feeling that you would like it because <laughs> of like the family drama of it all, and yeah, um, I mean, there's also the writing, like the writeriness of it all. Yeah, I love <laughs> stuff like that. It, it very much was like a film that I was going to love. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then other than that, the only things that I've really been watching is Succession. <laughs> oh yeah, you're you're on the Succession train finally. I'm on the train. I was always planning feel? to watch it. It feels. I mean, I I think that I'm at kind of the height of the series right now. I'm I'm like no, at not. the end of season two. Season it's two only... is not the heights, baby. Well, I thought, doesn't it have a decline? Like, people say that the last season is not as good. No. Oh, my oh. God. That is so untrue. Oh, okay. No, it's okay. so untrue. It's so good throughout. I think season five, season five, season four. How many seasons are there? Four. There's four seasons. Four. Whatever. The last season is, like, excellent, in my opinion. Oh, okay. I think okay. it's, like, some of it, some of the best, like, cool, like, firing up all cylinders. Like, it's, okay, it cool. gets really good. I'm at a weird place right now where there's, like, I don't know. The conflict is, like, reaching a point where something has to be resolved, but it's 
that's like not quite yeah. doing that. It's like a weird place that I'm at, but you know, it's the season teenager three phase. gets a little weird, yeah. um, a little bit, but season two is really good. That's like, yeah, it is really like the, the, it's a lot of high quality episodes in season two. Um, yeah. But the craziest thing is like the character arcs, like every season they're going through something different and season two Kindle is like, it's his own. I can't take it. I literally can't thing. take it. Um, He's breaking my heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, what have you been watching, Kamari? I've been watching a lot of movies lately. Um, so I'm going to touch on, I guess, just a couple of them. Uh, I watched um, this movie called Chuck and Buck, okay. which I really, really, really enjoyed. It's a early film from Mike White, who, oh, okay. of course, does my, did White Lotus, mm-hmm. uh, wrote School of Rock, amongst many other things. He has like, a really great writing career. But he wrote this film and he stars in it as well. And it's really great. It's like kind of like a homoerotic fatal attraction. Oh, okay. In a really interesting way about this, these two friends named Chuck and Buck who were really close when they were kids like maybe like closer than you know just normal friends when they were children mm-hmm. um, and Buck tries to reconnect years later with Chuck and at this point Chuck is now goes by Charlie and he like has a fiance which is a woman and it's mm-hmm. just kind of this whole thing this whole like kind of toxic jer- like relationship but also obsession kind of it's really really good uh, yeah I really enjoyed what he did with it and it covers like some really heavy topics in a very like complex way and hmm. doesn't really boil anything down to, to, to simple answers like it poses a lot of questions and opens a conversation about like some really like hidden like queer truths you know like some weird things like you know like those people you know that you have have relationships with when you're young that like how does that evolve when you've grown and those things have changed like a lot of things I haven't seen put on film before which is really interesting hmm. so Jack and Buck was great and uh, I guess the other one I'll, I'll uh, highlight is I watched uh, Decision to Leave which is a Park Chan-wook movie uh, mm-hmm. which was really really great i missed it it came out i want to say in 2022 and it was great i liked it um park chan is a great director i love his movie old boy and like lady vengeance and stuff and this is like very different it's like a neo-noir it feels very hitchcockian so i think you'd like it because you love hitchcock oh. um <laughs> it just feels like a modern hitchcock movie like in every single way um it kind of it's like a take on vertigo is okay. uh what it is it is rude but, but detective story with a femme fatale, femme fatale who's like a suspect of the crime and it's like they're falling in love while she's also the suspect and the detective so it's like very complex and cool really really beautifully shot and like wonderfully directed some of the most crazy and unique uh like camera setups and movement of the camera and just visionary direction i've seen in a very long time so shout out to that movie as well cool okay well, I'll have to add it to my list. Yeah. yeah. Um, talk about your drinks. <laughs> all right, friends. As we all know, I've been making two shots this season, season, this series for each of the films we're going to talk about. So, of course, the for- first film we're talking about is Dog Tooth. Uh, and the second film, which is our Greek weird way, quote unquote, film, uh, is called The Eternal Return of Antonis Parasquedas. Uh, and so for Dog Tooth, uh, just to talk about that one first, I made a shot which I have literally just decided the name of, which is Rocky's Punch. I'll let you figure out why I named it that. So this <laughs> shot is based on a Prohibition age cocktail called Mary Pickford. And I was originally thinking about Prohibition cocktails just because of the the structure of like a society that is dictating, you know, that that it is immoral, like dictating morality and, and illegal to drink alcohol. And so I was really feeling inspired by cocktails of that era in relation to and, conver- and in conversation with a film like Dogtooth, which is very much 
much about control and isolation and all of that. And I came across this cocktail, which I've never actually heard of before, uh, the Mary Pickford, which is named after uh, the actress and the co-founder of United Artists, which was basically one of the first like indie film groups in the States. And so I thought that would be like a cool uh, thing to kind of lean into as we're talking about these Greek films. So this is, it's a rum-based cocktail. It's got some pineapple, some tropical flavors in it. And yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's just kind of like a pretty pink prohibition cocktail. And that's what I made for Dogtooth. And then, for, cheers. Um, and then for the other film, the uh, Eternal Return of Antonis Parasqueves, I've made a drink that I'm calling Bloody Antonis. This is um, a take on the classic Bloody Mary. And it's, I think it's exactly what you need uh, for a hangover or, you know, decades of financial decline and crippling debt that may lead one to, to <laughs> fake their own kidnapping in order to make a headline. Just feels very much like the perfect hangover cure or, you know, cure to your problems. Definitely inspired by the fact that all this man eats throughout the entire movie basically is ketchup and pasta. <laughs> Great diet. I'm uh, slightly scared of this one, but I don't, I don't have to take it yet. So those are my cocktails are my shots for this episode. And I guess we have to get into it, huh? Let's do it. Cheers. Cheers. Dog Two from 2009. Directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, of course. It was written by Ephthemus Philippou and Yorgos Lanthimos. And it was produced by Athena Rachel Sangari, Irakilles, Mavriotis, and Yorgos Soriani's. Um, with cinematography by Thymius Bakatakis and edited by, of course, Yorgos Mavropsorides. It was filmed on a budget of 250,000 euros, approximately 270,000 United States dollars. And it stars Christos Starjoglu, Michelle Valley, Angeliki Baulia, Christos Posilis, Mary Sony, and Anna Kalazidu. What what are your what are your what are some of your initial thoughts on Dogtooth, Kamari? Dogtooth. You know, this is this is your ghost doing Yorgos. This is really what kind of put this era, this wave of Greek cinema on the map internationally. It's what put Yorgos Lanthimos on the map internationally. I think it's arguably, in his early career, like his most Yorgos film, his, the most polished version of what his type of film making is and what his perspective on cinema is. Um, even though at the same time, you can feel that he is crafting and learning what that looks like for him. Um, and it's a great movie. I think it's a very, very, very good movie. It, it's surprising and crazy how well put together and uh, like crystallized his vision is in only his third feature film, second feature film directed by himself. Yeah, he just he's such a clear eye of what he wants and what tone he wants. And like you look at the framing of some of these shots, like the way he like cuts people's head out of shots and the way he uh like decides to like linger on hands or he he the way he like shoots bodies, like human bodies and sexuality. And all those elements are there. Yeah, it's really, really cool to see. And it's really cool now to see like how this film exists in juxtaposition to these other films that we've been uh viewing, not even just his, but like films throughout the entire uh weird wave it's really really cool and i really really enjoyed it what do you think i was after watching this film i was kind of surprised by the amount of like international love that it got not because i think it was not good just because i feel like it's such a difficult film to watch i don't know i was just kind of like 
I feel like I feel like maybe if this film came out today, I feel like it would not have go over the way that it did just because it's like so unsettling and so disturbing at times. And like yet when I was reading reviews of this film from like 2008 or 2009, 2010, it was like people were calling this like a dark comedy. And I'm like, I don't think that that was really the tone that like would be interpreted today with this film. But all of that's just all of that being said, I'm very, very happy that it got the appreciation and the love that it did on an international level um, because I really think that it is like a perfect snapshot of like your ghost doing what he does. You know what I mean? Doing the thing and doing it like the way that to the highest potential, at least as far as these like early Greek films go, um, and, or just like this kind of first Ephthymus um, your ghost collaboration experience that we have of his like, I mean, really the, the majority of his films. And it asks so many questions and it makes me ponder on so many different things about human relationships, society, family dynamics. Dynamics. I don't know. It's really fascinating and so cohesive. Like what you said with like the cinematography meeting the performances, meeting his direction, meeting the script. Like it really is just this really cohesive, smartly crafted piece where every second of the film seems completely necessary to the story. Which yeah, I mean, no we, waste we, of time. Yeah, like we even talked about in Alps, like some of that that like background storyline not feeling like it fit into the story, but with this, it feels so cohesive and it's just it's really masterful. It's yeah. yeah yeah it's it's so so uh it's a really interesting viewing experience yeah you know i i really enjoyed watching it uh because yorgos does this thing where he doesn't give you any answers he just drops you into the middle of the situation um and it's really interesting because i found that a lot of these greek films do this where there will be this premise right um and i think as an american audience maybe we're used to the premise being literally how the story is is beginning like mm -hmm. we're gonna get introduced to this world and and we're going to have the premise of the film that, that promotes the film literally be laid out to us in the first 20 minutes. And then once we get it laid out to us, then we're going to be able to explore the world and the characters, etc. But Yorgos doesn't do that at all. He just kind of drops you into the middle of the situation. And you might not get like a proper explanation of what's really happening, like in the words that the premise gave to you until an hour and 15 minutes in. If yeah. ever, if he ever like just straight up gives you what's happening, you know? Um, <laughs> and it's, it's really interesting because it, it just makes it's so fun to watch and like he actually speaks to that i was reading some interviews earlier uh with him and he says that he likes to do that he likes to not give everything away in the beginning because it causes the audience to be more engaged with the film and to draw their own conclusions they have their own elements of the story and they can make the rest up with their own mind which he finds makes it more creative for the audience mm -hmm. i think that's such an interesting idea like you're kind of including the audience in the experience they're not just watching the film they're like actively it's like you know it's sort of like what happens naturally like a genre film like a mystery like a thriller like you, yeah the, the audience when you're watching you're trying to put the pieces together and this is this movie is not a thriller at all it's not like it's just a drama film but at the same time you're still you're like why <laughs> why are these things happening what's exactly happening who knows what who's in control what does this what do these kids know and what do they not know like how yeah. aware are they how old are they you know it's like all these things are just not given to you really at all yeah and and i think that that is i mean he says that he does that in order to be to engage the audience and i also think that it's kind of a testament to just trusting your audience to be along with you on the ride like over exposition i think is such a downfall of a lot of films like let's just not have any exposition let's just 
just jump right into what's happening. And it's it's interesting to say that in a film like this because it's not like there's like a heavy plot. Like it's not plot heavy. It's really just atmosphere heavy, you know? Like, yeah, things happen in the film, but it's not like there's some kind of, you know, climax, blah, 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 things that like we're trying to figure out. It's, it's not a mystery, but it is. It's not a murder mm. mystery, but it is very mysterious and it makes you question what's going on. Yeah, that that is, I think, a a, a a big attribute of a lot of the films that we've watched so far of, you know, the Greek weird wave postmodernism of Greek cinema. I think that that's, they trust their audience to just kind of be along for the ride, which yeah. is, I don't know. I, I appreciate that, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, I, I think it's really uh, fascinating. And it's not something that we see a lot in in a lot of cinema. It's it's takes, especially in a lot of filmmakers' early careers. I think a lot of filmmakers early on like do feel, I mean, I even find myself dependent on, you know, getting, like, I want the audience to know what's happening so that they have a reason to stay. Yeah, but, I mean, it's a know, risk to not, It's a risk, right? yeah, to just kind of like throw everything at the audience and be like, hey, are you into it? <laughs> you know? yeah. But instead of just being fearless and, and doing it all without any regards to whether they're really uh connecting or understanding but then at the same time having really strong visuals and really strong characters that keep you interested no matter if they understand what's really happening what's connecting what the connecting tissue is at all you know well, yeah because i found myself very emotionally involved in what in the state of these characters and like what was going on i agree these are like honestly some With of them i think the most well-written characters yorgos has had in yeah. His career. yeah i just i cared about them all a lot and I don't know if it was testament to the character to the actors or how the characters were written but i really really cared for the the, the three kids especially yeah um, i mean yeah <laughs> what happened to them especially the uh oldest daughter but mm -hmm. i really connected with the son too i was like oh like, yeah. this is kind of a product of what's happening and you know it's it, i don't know it was interesting in comparison to characters like uh like uh like colin farrell and the lobster uh who i feel like is a little cold and distances him like I, I it's a little harder to connect with him i think sometimes because of how emotionally unconnected he is to his situation and scenarios and stuff or even the ensemble in Alps which is interesting I feel like the character I connected with the most there was also played by Angeliki Papuya yeah Papuya yeah Angeliki Papuya um, which I think is just how brilliant she is and she is as an actress uh, even between these two films she is just playing such a different character but still uh, has that strong like that str she really is like the centerpiece of both these films yeah uh, she holds it all together she is the person who is taking action against the establishment in both films who wants to like either rise above or or in the case of Alps like go into <laughs> the environment right or into the establishment so yeah I think he wrote her like Yorgos Neptimus wrote her uh two really fascinating characters to play with and then jumping to like the lobster and she's like this yeah, yeah, heartless yeah. like like she's just fantastic I don't know how she yeah does she's really what diverse, she does really really great yeah so talk about a little bit about the origins of Dogtooth mm -hmm. Dogtooth was the first film with uh with produced by Boo Productions, which is like an Athens-based advertising company. So they do commercials and everything. We've talked before about how prevalent and, and huge the commercial like advertising industry is in Greece. Um, so this was their first film that they did with Yorgos. And I couldn't really find any direct research on this, but I can only assume it's there was a connection that Yorgos had with this company because, as we all know, Yorgos has a, himself has a very big uh, background in commercials and right. uh, the commercial industry. So uh, something else I don't know that we've talked about throughout the series yet is just how prevalent and supportive just like many european countries the government of greece is in supporting film 
groups in the mm -hmm. film industry. And you see this a lot in Europe, like in England, you see it in Ireland, you see it like in a lot of these countries in Greece where um, the government will have their own programs set up. And in uh, the example for Greece, they have the Greek Film Center who will support projects. And it really doesn't, it's different because I think here in America, we see that's just not a thing. No. And if you do see like a government produced film, it has to kind of be like something very specific, uh, like around a very specific topic, around something like social justice. Like you would not see a film like Dogtooth being produced by or being funded by the American government or even like a really a large, <laughs> even like a really like large organization in America, I yeah. don't think, um, because of the content. Uh, but then you have this film, which $200,000 of their budget was just was given by the Greek Film Center alone. So that's like <laughs> majority yeah. of their budget. Um, and then the other 50000 was from Blue Productions, the production studio. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think I think that's just something that is really of note and really different is just the funding process and how these films were getting funded because Attenberg as well was a film that was primarily funded by the Greek Film Center and I just think that's such an interesting difference between these two countries between our country and, and Greece yeah I mean the support of the arts I mean the states in the United States obviously we are like very much ooh capitalism yeah so like I guess as far as that goes it makes sense that a government body would not get involved in that kind of enterprise because Hollywood is such a huge industry, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Because, I mean, there is, like, government grants and things like that, but those all really go towards, like, very, very small-scale things, I feel like, for in the United States, um, at least from my very experience. Niche, very niche things. Yeah. And they usually do have to have, like, a very specific concern that the film is addressing. Usually is leaning more towards documentary things than right. uh, narrative projects. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, a lot of the actors that he got for this film were stage actors he's worked with before when he was doing theater mm -hmm. and we this is another example of him having a really interesting rehearsal process he's talked about this uh, again how he just kind of had people come in and play games and he mentioned uh how he really is focused on physicality as a director he's not as interested in you know character background and motivation he doesn't care about any of that it's really just physicality and people being comfortable with each other and i think that really shows especially in this film i say that oh my I God. Like I say every time we talk about this but especially in this film but yeah, yeah the three the three kids are literally on top of each other this entire film like yeah. i like i i definitely i didn't read anything specifically from yorgos about the the rehearsal process but i just based on what i knew from him and his other films i knew that like that like some of the stuff that they do is literally theater games like the the physical yeah. activity that they go through is is just that it's just theater games yeah. um and he mentioned how like they had a script they had like a, a um overview what was happening of course in the lines but he said like a lot of it was them just getting like finding things in the rehearsal process so i'm sure that a lot of those things like when they're like blindfolded looking trying to find mother like i'm sure that was something they just found in rehearsal like let's just get that on film like you know i don't i'm sure that wasn't written exactly in the script yeah. and a lot of those little games that they do like the cpr and stuff feels very just kind of go with go for it improv for you know play well, and, and it, it feels like that it's interesting because i feel like so much of that kind of body work that you do in theater is all about like getting back to a childlike state right and that's very mm -hmm. much exactly what i think these characters have to be at they have to literally be children like in their minds they're stunted because of the way that they have been raised and it makes sense that those are the things that they would do to get to a place of comfortability with each other and also just looseness and like being able to to move throughout the film in that way do we want to like talk about what the film is about a little bit yeah i guess we should <laughs> <laughs> yeah talk a little bit about what's going on so so 
the film follows a really fucked up family. Um, <laughs> husband and wife, uh, mom and dad, mother and father is what they are, I guess, officially titled. Mm-hmm. And they have three children who they uh, keep inside in this very nice home and this estate and garden and pool. And they have uh, big walls around the property and they are not allowed to ever leave. Uh, and they are pretty ignorant to the world outside of, of the walls that they are uh, contained in. And they have a couple rules, which are, you know, are things like you can only leave the ho- house in the car. That's you're only safe if you're in the car. And mother and father tell the kids that you only can leave when you lose your dog tooth, which mm-hmm. is like your canine tooth, your two teeth in the front, or I guess in the sides, really. Yeah. Um, and and then you can only drive when their dog tooth grows back. So already two impossibilities. Yeah, They're grown adults, like they can't lose any more if teeth. They lose their dog tooth. It won't happen, and it will certainly not grow back if they lose it. So. So, um, you know, that just, I think, is, is representative of the ridiculousness. And, it, like, it's easy to, I guess, parse them down to lies, but it's even more than just a lie. It's like entrapment, you know? It's like yeah. confusion, you know what I'm saying? Because, and, and and these kids will go throughout their life, and we say kids, but they really are adults. They're grown <laughs> like, adult people, they're yeah. They're adults, but they're just super uh, stunted. Yeah. Um, developmentally and, and emotionally. They just don't know anything. And they're also fed lies all the time, like, through these tapes that are just kind of, like, pre-fed to teach them like the word like they, they're told like that the word C means a leather armchair right. the word scursion means hard steel used to make floor like all of these words are which we can get into that it's like what is even the reason of, of mixing up words for these kids except to just just control completely, them yeah. completely control them and alter their, their understanding of what the world is to fit what what the parents want their world right. view to look like and they're raised in a way that is like you know what what dad said what father says is it's like a textbook right like there you know if you when you break down someone's like something as simple as just basic language then how are they to learn anything aside from what it is that they're being fed right so yeah it's all just a means of control and um entrapment is exactly what it is one of the things that this is a little bit of a tangent not a tangent but a little bit of just like something that i initially thought of when i was watching this film is the a book is the book catch 22 by joseph heller Mm. which is a book that i read in high school that has always had a big impact on me as both a writer and as like a human being in the world and it reminds me so much of this both in its like absurdity as well as in like the titular Catch-22 which is like in the book so Catch-22 is about World War II and like soldiers in World War II and it's just an absurd like telling of these people these kids literal like you know teenagers early adults that are forced to to uh fly planes in World War II and the titular thing of like Catch-22 is like if you you are insane then you can plea insanity and get out of the war but anyone that would go to the therapist or go to the doctor and say that they're insane clearly is not insane and they're just saying that they're insane because they don't want to be in the war anymore which makes them sane and so therefore they can never leave basically and so it's it's yeah. exactly what is happening in this film is like oh you if you, once your dog tooth comes out you can leave but it's never going to come out your dog tooth so, come out, so you can never leave yeah <laughs> it's an entrapment like it- but it's interesting that that this made me think of this just because i think that that book one of the reasons why I loved it so much is that it really is satirizing the U.S. military in World War
World War II, definitely like with the intention of analyzing how systems of power leave the individual without any control of their own life. And I just feel like that's exactly what this film is doing. And that's definitely that's like the exact conversation that's happening. So, anyways, that's a little bit of a tangent. One of my favorite books, but it just feels so relevant that these two things are like in conversation with each other in that way. And there's all kinds of media that is about this, of course. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because it is, I mean, it is like satirization. I mean, I, I was, uh, Yorgo said that he, <sighs> one of the things that stemmed this idea for this movie is he was having a conversation with a friend uh, over dinner and uh, I guess his friend was recently married um, mm -hmm. and he kind of made a joke to his friend about, oh, like you're trapped da, 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 and the friend got super upset about it, took, got, took a lot of offense to it. And so he wanted to write something about a man that took his family so serious, like so seriously among anything. Like that was the most important thing in his life and like to a to an extreme degree. So yeah, it is kind of making fun of that idea like this, not even making fun of, but, but it, it is satirizing, which is a little bit more complex than just making fun of. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 flipping on its head this idea of family and a, a controlling father. Um, and in this case, a kind of like passive mother um, mm -hmm. and the effect that it can have on children. But also this idea of uh, what the lack of knowledge can do to a child um there are harm it's it's it is he portrays that it is genuinely a harmful thing to do to not teach your child the truth about the world i mean you yeah. see he doesn't teach them anything he doesn't teach them about sex he allows this woman christina christina uh -huh. yes to come in once a week to um to have sex with uh, uh the son and at, but at the same time the both daughters are not having any knowledge at least to uh to the viewer not having any knowledge or understanding of what sex is they have to find out through also christina mm -hmm. but christina represents it to them in a very manipulative way yes so their understanding of sexuality from that from that moment is that sex is manipulation and is it is a transaction it's yeah a means of trade <laughs> it's, a, it's a means of trade that's what they're taught and so that's what their understanding is because that's their world that's all they know which then you know have has these kids involving with each other incestually and they don't even realize what it is that they're doing they don't realize they don't understand yeah. that it's that it's not wrong or that it's what it even is that they're doing they just know that oh i can get something nice i can get a, a gift if i do something sexual to someone that's right. their understanding that's but it's all not it, even you know? it's what's funny is that and, and i do think that it is funny is that they don't even understand like they, they don't they don't even grasp that it's like a sexual act it's just like the act of licking a person's body part you know what i mean mm -hmm. so like like they don't necessarily engage in like sexual things in order to trade it's like oh if you lick me you can have this and she licks her on the shoulder you know what i mean so it's like they mm. don't even have the like the framework of what it is that has been done and the implication of it in order to to make the transaction happen it's just like so it, it keeps going as like as base as it can go i guess as far as their understanding of of reactions and and doing things to each other it's yeah but then it even like because it definitely is yes it's satirization of this kind of controlling family but it's also i feel like a bit of a what's the word like a warning almost like of the dangers of this kind of community that they've that the father and the mother have created with, within this family because even when you do get like to the real like incest which the parents set up mm -hmm. it's like they don't even even at that point when there's like actual penetration happening between these two brother and sister they don't even know what it is that's happening you know what i mean like mm -hmm. they finish and she's like quoting a movie yeah it's like yeah. it's it's definitely the most extreme i think way of telling that kind of story watching this film is kind of the first time I, I've been able to collect my thoughts on this idea of 
Yorgos as like an extreme filmmaker and mm-hmm. as a like provocative filmmaker uh, that puts a lot of weird, quote unquote, disturbing, you know, like disgusting stuff in his films. But what I found is that I never feel that he puts anything shocking in his film just to shock. I feel like it all has a purpose. It's all tied to story. And I think that's especially true in this film. Like mm-hmm. you have the shocking stuff, like, you know, the incest, the killing of the cat and like the showing of that shot, like all of this stuff that you could say is sort of like, like the knocking her own tooth out. All this stuff is really yeah. harsh and like yeah. disturbing. hard to watch and disturbing, but it's all so tightly like tied to the story. Every single one of those moments that, that is shocking is a, a large story beat. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you can't uh, take it out. It would yeah, not, it's not be just showing thing. incest and being like, oh, this is, you know, cool to show. This is like provocative. <laughs> I'm going to make the audience like gasp by showing incest. Like it, it is built into the plot that these, that this is a result of uh, their parents, their parents' decisions that they've made about these right. kids, you know? And they have been put in a position where they don't even have the knowledge and the self-actualization to realize that they shouldn't be doing it. Because, like, yes. it's not like their parents, like, are holding the two of them and making them do it. No, they, they, they're just doing what they're told mm-hmm. and they have been left alone to do it. So it's like the ultimate like mind fucking of like an individual. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also just bre- like, we don't have to talk about this for a long time. Briefly want to hear your thoughts on, because when I was watching that scene in particular with the the brother, the the two kids having sex, I mean, that's absolutely unsimulated. Like that, it, they are, I don't know <laughs> if the- pati- I was wondering about that. Um... I, like, I mean, she's definitely like, ha- is holding his penis and i'm yeah, they're, pretty they're both naked and he's hard like he gets physically hard and, and, and they don't have, they don't have enough of a budget to be like you know cgi but no, and... <laughs> I, I so i looked it up because it is i it didn't it was hard for me to, to find like specificities on it i mean her grabbing his penis and like and stroking it that is that is happening that's unsimulated like you can see it happening on the screen and it's not clear to me based on what i looked up if the penetration is simulated or not it looks real to me but i don't know but this film is on a list of films that features unsimulated sexual intercourse and i'm just curious what your thoughts are on that as like a creator of art because i yeah. and i guess i'll share my thoughts first actually yeah, go ahead. because I, well, first of all, I think from an American standpoint, that's really bizarre for us to understand. You know what I mean? Like thinking of, yeah, of like, I guess like the crux of it all. Yeah. Is, is thinking of like, oh my God, like even as someone who like went to school for acting, like if I was asked to do something like this, like how would I feel about it? That kind of thing. But I just think that, I mean, first of all, obviously they're not actually siblings and yes. like they're not. And, and, <laughs> and I'm obviously, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm, I feel confident that both of the people that were involved in that scene agreed to do it because they did it. So it's not like, yes. I don't think it's it's nasty in the sense of like any kind of manipulation on Yorgos's part but I just think that there is something really powerful about like showing a sexual experience like that on screen in a non-pornographic way because it's not pornographic like yes. it, like I don't like I I don't think that it's porn even though it is whatever level the simulation happens or doesn't whatever it it's not about pleasure it's about the story and it's about portraying these characters so I think it's actually quite beautiful is not the right word but it is like striking and I think that it, it makes the point that it's trying to make absolutely i don't know what are your thoughts on that uh this is great because i i kind of want to take this and open it into a larger conversation that i wanted mm-hmm. to have with you but uh in terms of unsimulated sex i 
I don't want to say like I'm a fan of Untamed Sex. It sounds crazy, <laughs> but like one of my one of my like favorite directors, Gaspar Noé, mm-hmm. has made this movie. I love, knew you were gonna mention him, <laughs> which is which is fully just unsimulated sex. Um, yeah. Like the first shot of the film is a guy getting a hand job to completion, and you see every second of it. You see him coming, and you see it. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It is. Yeah. Um, and like one of the I guess like uh, climax scenes, but <laughs> not intended of the, of the films is uh this threesome that these these characters have it's a couple and they bring a third into their relationship and it's completely shot in an overhead shot uh of this of these three people having sex and you see like the intricacies of of um you know just just like how two will be will be uh together and one will be on the outskirts of it and then the it'll the the dynamic will shift and then you mm-hmm. see somebody kind of second guessing their place in all of it and it's, it's just such a beautiful moment and it's all you know real it's all real sex and i think that my opinion of it is that i i don't care i think it works i i think like when it's when it works it works but yeah. i do think it's a very american thing to have an issue with that or yeah not to say that having an issue with that with that is is wrong but i think it is very based in like american ideals that that should not be a thing that we see on screen mm-hmm. when i think a lot of european filmmakers uh are much more open to the idea of that uh, maybe in, even european actors I, I don't can't speak to that specifically but it seems like that would be the case but i, I wanted to talk about this difference like the things that are normal in european filmmaking that seem strange to american audiences mm. like like sexuality in the body and animal violence like i think those are things that are very prevalent in european film and yes. a lot of european films that i've seen a lot of french film a lot of greek cinema um specifically that i can speak to um and i just think that it's so interesting that like things like that to an american audience are like that's <laughs> like the nail that's like the nail in the coffin for, yeah. for a film sometimes you know I, and it's just such an interesting idea because I think even the way in this film that that Yoroslantimos shoots naked bodies. Um, this is a very early career film for him. This is not like a big budget film. He's not like a world renowned filmmaker at this point. So he's just on set with these actors and he's saying, okay, and this scene, I need you to strip down and I need you guys to get on top of each other and yeah. have sex. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, he doesn't have a huge amount of money behind him to like prove that he is like a, a pro- like these are people just trusting him to do right. this. And to, yeah. I, I don't think that uh that would really happen a lot in American filmmaking or American cinema. And I I guess I just wonder if you have a a thought on why that is or what that difference is. Well, I think that Americans in general have a different view. I mean, even like particularly on like the human body than Mm -hmm. I think other cultures do, particularly European cultures, where I think that we feel a lot of shame and a lot of guilt when it comes to like the naked body and also just like are, are constantly being, I mean, literally trained and uh yeah trained from an early age to like always be sexualizing the human form so even like in films even like hollywood films right that you see that feature naked bodies you never see them the way that they're shot in these greek films like they're always buff gorgeous hairless like all of that like in these films you're literally just seeing like a just a person you know fully full bush full whatever without any kind of like body modification that or it doesn't seem like like oiled up you know yeah exactly (laughs) 
It's not. It's not meant to be sexual. It's just meant to be a naked person. It's just meant like, to be a naked person. It's not made a moment of like somebody just undresses. Like uh, I think an American filmmaker would shoot it like somebody undresses, and then we get like a close up of like there's like music. Like, yeah, like it's like a, a whole thing. And even in the way that Yorgos Lanthimos like, shoots his sex scenes, it's never super sexy. It's just even very core things. I feel like it's yeah, not. It's not, <laughs> it's not sexy. It's like very clinical. It's very like to the point. It's very just to show that these people are having sex. They're not. They're not. You know, making moments of 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 feeling sexy and and you know these people touching and trailing each other's bodies and which is you know it, it's just it's just a thing that is happening that these characters are doing and i think it's 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 much more realistic mm-hmm. i think i think that the way sex scenes are are done in film you know sex in film sex in film in america and like just like the the pornography in america has like shifted our brains as americans of what yes. we think sex is uh, yes. and how we feel about our sexualities and uh, yeah it, it's just a, such an interesting difference between uh between the way it's portrayed and it's weird because i think that i feel like there's a lot of shame that involved in like the naked body in the states and in like hollywood films as far as like if you, it, like 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 the stigma of if you're an actor who's willing to get naked like there's like a negative stigma attached to that yeah. but when we do see things like that it's very much shot in pornographic in a pornographic way yeah and so it's like okay do you are you attract are you like aroused by this or do you hate it like get, like you have to pick mm-hmm. one because you can't shoot something to make it look like this is a really like sexual experience and you're trying to like turn everyone in the audience on and then turn around and be like that film is terrible because it was willing to show this yeah. this boob or whatever like it's just you know the constant double standard of like i don't know existing in the united states then you get like emma stone doing what she does in poor things and people are like I can't believe that Emma Stone is getting naked. Like, right. But I, I feel that Emma Stone is not making it a moment of like her being naked sexually. It's just kind of a part of, it's like built into the fabric of the character of Bill Baxter that she would, that, you know, the, of, of what, at any given moment in the scenes in the movie where she's naked, it makes sense. It's not just like gratuitous, like she's meant to be looking sexy in a, no, like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Never... It's never shot like that even. Like, it's not, that's not the visual language whenever she's nude. She just kind of is. And yeah, I don't know. It, it's a very, very, interesting difference between these two between like in international cinema that you can see it so much more <laughs> unstimulated sex in in international cinema than you will ever see in american cinema oh yeah yeah it's a lot of trust i mean a lot of trust between the scene partners and a lot of trust with, with the director you're almost talks a lot about how uh he has closed sets mostly it's not a bunch of people he usually talks about a lot about how it's usually just him and the cinematographer and the actors uh and the sound person like as as few people as it possibly can be so it sounds like most of his sets are very intimate and trustworthy anyway so i'm sure that that adds to the comfortability of of moments like this of sexuality and, and nudity yeah and then you've also gone through however long this 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 rehearsal process is like mm-hmm. he's really creating the the best environment it seems at least obviously i've never been on one of his sets mm-hmm. in order for the actors and the people that need to do these kinds of things they feel comfortable doing so and i think all of that just leads to a positive outcome as far as what we see from the audience because while that scene like the incest scene like getting back to that is very very disturbing in its own way i think it's more disturbing in just like what my own brain 
is thinking than what is actually going on like on the screen and it's really i think an essential part of the film because that really is right like because that's that's really leading us to i think what is at the core of this this plot and the, the, the and thematically what is at the core of this film which is that like all of these things that this father has created for these children who are now adults is bad and it's leading them down a, a, a road of self-destruction and and badness that they don't even they can't even comprehend mm -hmm. i don't know if anything that i just said made sense but <laughs> <laughs> i want to kind of uh while we're on this like sex train i want to talk about <laughs> Ooh. Uh, the, <laughs> talk about the character of christina uh -huh. and some parallels i kind of found there between her relationship with the son and i think a scene that caused a lot of controversy in poor things which is that scene where uh um spoiler alert for poor things i'm gonna say it or maybe like skip ahead like five minutes if you don't want to hear this conversation yeah but the scene in poor things where um bella is having sex with a father or or i'm sorry mm -hmm. um a father is teaching his two young sons how to have sex by having sex with a prostitute in front of them yes i saw a lot of discourse about that well i think that from the perspective of watching that film and I think that it was essential for Bella's development as a character. I wasn't offended by it because I also think that it was kind of funny. Like it really was kind of a comical part of the film. And as far as her experiences go in the brothel, it was one of the more positive ones, I think, because it very much was an experiment for everyone involved, I think. And it leads and it lends to her like scientific brain. So my thoughts on that, like I, I it's weird to say it, but I liked that scene, like not. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's... No, yeah, I, I think it added to the film. I think, I mean, yeah. I think it didn't necessarily add, but I think it, uh, it made sense in the context of the film, what happened. Uh, yeah, and I, but those just, I just remember saying, I saw so much discourse about that, and, you know, that whole film has this controversy, um, about the thematic things that it's following, but, uh, that moment in particular, just about the implications of what was happening and what was being said, but I think something kind of similar is happening here with this character of Christina, who's coming in to teach the son. I mean, th this is also a thing that's never truly explained. It's never it's really. not we don't really know why she's yeah. there like are they trying to get her pregnant are they trying to have grandchildren mm. like that's where my head was at i was like what really? is the, the yeah like what that's is interesting which i don't know if that's necessarily right because they never really continue down that i guess for me the question i kept asking was if the son needs this why don't why don't the daughters need this but i guess that's kind of like the father being at the helm of all of this and and real and recognizing a man's need for sexual release or whatever well, yeah i have like a like i have a quote from yordos about that he says it has to do with the fact that boys are seen as much more deserving of having sex and entitled to more things than girls when it mm -hmm. comes to the girls the parents never think that they need to be educated about sex and they deal with them in a much more conservative way so it creates a bizarre situation when it gets discarded any kind of thought about this with regards to the girls for the boy however they're even they're very proud of him having sex at least this is the mentality we have in greece i have to admit it's quite dated but i guess it still exists in other countries too I mean, yeah, yeah yeah i think it's very very true and i think that that quote i mean that obviously is about dog too but i think that is kind of the same exact thing that he's trying to encapsulate in in that scene in poor things is right. this kind of toxic male relationship with sex but especially with like you know intergenerational like a father to son like teaching a son what sex is and kind of over sexualizing hyper sexualizing kids at a young age because they think that's kind of what makes them a man i, I think mean, that kind yeah. of you know that's kind of what is, is being said there and i think that like a trope or a thing that i feel like is 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 repeated in kind of cinema and tv shows is this idea of like oh you're getting to the age where i'm gonna take you to the whorehouse son yeah. and like yeah like let pop your cherry or, or let you you know whatever yeah which again is not something that you really is attributed to teenage girls ever and i also think that what's an important point as far as this film is concerned dog 
truth is that the fact that they leave out the sexual education from like the daughter's perspective completely, I think is kind of what leads to the downfall of this film because they have to seek that out on their own. And so then mm -hmm. for the first time in their lives, they're discovering things and learning things on their own with without the father's control. And I think that's what makes them start to question things. Like you, there's the point in the film when the daughter's like, what does pussy mean? Yeah. She's like, where did you hear that word? And she's like, oh, on, uh, on something, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, for the first time like the fact that you're not willing to to include them in this education is leading them to seek things out on their own which is which is true of, which is true of real life you know yes, that's absolutely like what, you know, that's a that's... very yeah i mean not to get too musical theatery here but like one of my favorite musicals is spring awakening and that's like yeah. exactly the the plot of spring awakening and I, I kept thinking of that it's also you know a, a famous german play uh that's based off of but like that's what i kept thinking back to is just this idea of trying to protect children and leaving them uneducated and then them falling into even worse because of their lack of knowledge uh yeah. the importance of education sex education this like is important like specifically but also just uh, education in general like not hiding your child from the world is such an important thing as i say without children but you know, i think this so I, th <laughs> I think this film is a pretty good argument of why you should you know show your child the world yeah uh where do you want i to also think that this is such uh a good way to handle some handle this material because if this were actually children it would be it would be extremely disturbing it is already disturbing but yeah by making it kid or by, by making it adults who are just in the mentality of a child is very smart because you get to explore all these things uh very truthfully very honestly but kind of take away some of that cut some of that burn that would be there otherwise um you get to not be as uncomfortable but in reality these these adults really are children i mean they have the minds of children yeah and, and they're learning these truths they're the worlds are expanding uh this is like they believe that uh the the planes are just toys oh my god they're not real planes they're <laughs> just toys that fall to the sky and sometimes you know if if you're lucky you can pick one up but if it doesn't fall then it's not for you you know like and it's like like but their parents allow for them to believe that like by literally throwing toy planes into the yard yeah, and letting them play tricks on them, them. Yeah, yeah there's also this whole like part that we haven't really talked about yet of of the games that they play with the parents and how the parents have this like reward system and also punishment system that they yeah that they uh use to to keep the kids i guess in line really where like they have a sticker system like once you've collected a certain number of stickers you get to determine what like the family activity is going to be <laughs> um which is like this kind of sick way of making the kids feel like they have some i don't know control like over control. anything yeah. <laughs> when it's like oh your choices for what you can do is either watch videos that the parents have created for them to watch or mm -hmm. i don't know like like it's all still very much controlled but the, the the point system and the games and all of that is is a really interesting part of the film and it also i think adds to them being children as well and yes their stunted growth absolutely oh, this is one moment that i kind of want to call out that i thought was really really uh brilliant i don't remember who the son was talking to but it was when the son was having a conversation with someone maybe it was the mother about dreams like he was like what did you dream about mm -hmm. uh do you know what I'm moment i'm talking about yeah yeah he asked like what what was it the mom he was talking to you yeah he's talking he's was it no it's christina he's talking to christina yeah. he asks her what he dream what she dreams about and you know she tells her this kind of complex dream and she's like what do you dream about uh and he's like i dreamt that I was like i was in the pool with 
with my mom. And she's like, what, like, what else happened? He's like, that's it. That's it. I thought that was such a beautiful <laughs> way to explain like how small this, these people, like their world is. Like, like they their don't, dreams. They, they can't are even expand. They can't even, because they've never seen anything. They can't even expand outside of this house in their dreams. I think that's just such a haunting way to, to, to like write sad, that. It's yeah. so sad, you know? Like even in my dream, I just was in this house and I was in the pool with my mom. Yeah. Because that's, that's all I know. <laughs> they, have, they, have, they don't have any media to like show them a world. Uh -uh. And then you see this introduction of media. Yeah. The How the father is like afraid of that. Like how that is genuinely like a, a scary thing for for uh, the eldest daughter to be introduced to these VHS tapes of of films, which is uh, Rocky, Rocky. Four, Jaws, <laughs> and Flashdance. Yeah. Are the tapes that she's has access to and but you see as soon as she starts which she gets these tapes through her transaction of you know licking <laughs> licking christina um mm -hmm. it kind of like guilts her into it uh and she gets these tapes and then immediately you see her how her world is opened up yeah she's like she's like, memorized such, the lines uh, she's like and that's just so beautiful to me too yeah. uh, like and I, it's like nerdy but like the like these, these films are literally opening up their worldview showing them that there is something outside of this home giving them like hope and like courage to yeah. to break out of this mold uh yeah she does the rocky moment the rocky scene <laughs> with all the juice in her mouth and she and, like, like has it yeah it's so good it's a really like, really good moment like, like she acts an oscar so award-winning well. performance right there yeah, i'm just she, like come on she's incredible uh then she's like in the pool like doing jaws yes. with uh her siblings which they don't understand like they're like running they're like get off i mean she's like just, she like actually starts biting his leg it's hilarious and um, even the flash dance she does the dance yeah too. she does this like <laughs> the younger sister is like i'm tired i don't want to dance anymore and then she just fully goes into the flash dance big dance moment and it's just yeah. hilarious her mom's like stop like, <laughs> like no no more uh also the introduction of those things is when we really start to get at the father's brutality as well yes. which i think is a really really important part i laughed of the film. so hard I, my jaw was open when he smacked her with that vhs tape when he takes the vhs I and literally pop. i wrote in my notes <laughs> smacks the crap out of her hitting her with the vhs tape is crazy like because he's taping it i'm thinking oh he's just taping it so she can't play it anymore he's like covering the little spot like the whole right so it won't go on the tape deck or the uh the vhs player uh the vcr is the word of it um but then he types around his hand and, and smacks her with it like yeah on the head like multiple times it was crazy. I thought that was hilarious, but also so sick. But then he goes out of his home to Christina's home <laughs> and smacks her with the with actual the VHS player. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this man is so brutal. And then and then he says, I hope your kids have bad influences and develop a bad personality yes. as punishment for the evil you have caused my family. Yes. Hilarious line. <laughs> I get why people say this is like a dark comedy because those moments are really funny. Like they're really like what to hit her with a VHS player and then say that is crazy. It's hilarious. It's so brutal and violent, but it is. It really is funny. Like because it's it's almost <laughs> shocking and absurd in the way that he does it. Yeah, because he, he kind of like sits there with it and then just does it. Like it's like out of nowhere. Like yeah, it's great. Um, uh, I do. We gotta talk about this 
really small scene earlier. I'm kind of jumping around. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I think it's kind of important to the, the thematic idea of this film, which is uh, this idea that they sent their dog to get trained. Um, and the dog is getting trained, and they have this conversation with the dog trainer. The dad and the dog trainer have this conversation where uh, the dog trainer says, the issue here is to decide together how we want to your dog to behave. Do we want an animal or do we want a friend? And I feel like that, which seems very, you know, insignificant in the grand scheme of the story, it's not really ever brought up again, this idea of the dog, except maybe one more time. But I think that's kind of what, in in a way, what the thematic crux of everything is. Uh, behavior and training and, and like the way that a parent decides to raise their child. Yeah. And the decision that this father has made is, is to do it in this crazy way which kind of makes them animals i mean you literally see them on all fours barking like animals it's like you know like it like like, like to drive the point home you literally see them barking, barking. Like animals to keep the evil cats away the man-eating cats yeah yeah like it's it's uh i, I don't know i i i, I guess like stayed with me I don't, that was a really such a small scene but i'm like yeah that really is what what they're dealing with here and um in roger ebert's review of this film he said I wrote this down because I thought it was it was exactly I think what I was feeling. The message I took away was God help children whose parents insanely demand unquestioning obedience to their deranged standards. And that I think that's exactly what you just said. And it really and I think oftentimes about the training of animals, the training of dogs, and the training of children, training. And I kind of get fucked up honestly when I think about right now in particular, I'm working on training my brother's dog. I think all the time about like the way in which I do that because I'm like, I don't want to be unintentionally cruel to this animal because she doesn't know any better. I think a lot about the way in which we train animals. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about about animal training and, and raising children and the relationship between those two things. And obviously, that's exactly what Yorgos is getting at with this film. It's yeah. literally called Dog Tooth. They literally have moments where they're barking, like you said, which I also will say Dolores, my brother's dog, was very, very, very confused when all <laughs> of the humans were barking. She was yeah. like, I know that this is a bark, but it's not quite sound right. right. Like, she was so confused. <laughs> She was like, what yeah. is going on right now? Um, but yeah, that that is a big, an important theme, I think. This idea of like training and also like who's who has the right to train, like a human being, like you yeah. have to treat a human being like a human being. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it says, do we want an animal or do we want a friend? But you really could change that to like, do you want, like, do you want up to, to raise a person who will grow up to be their own human or do you want something that you can control? Do you like, want a pet? Kind yeah. of the, like, do you want just a pet? Like, do you, like, what do you want? And they want pets. They want something they can control completely tell what to do you know and and they just listen to anything they say which uh, i think is also interesting because i feel like that's a conversation that we have a lot in the modern world that was not really had decades and decades and decades ago because oh, I think that especially in the United States there's this idea of like the nuclear family and like that's just the path that everyone takes is you ha you find a person of the opposite sex, you marry them, you have kids that's your family, like that's what you're supposed to do and I think our generation and like millennials, we're really the, the, the first generation to be like, no, like I'm not just gonna have kids just because I'm supposed to do that I'm gonna have, we're, we we're gonna have kids if we want to, if it's something that's gonna fulfill us if we're in a place to do that and I think we're one of the first generations of people at least in the, in the United States to 
really not think of that as the default. And I think we we face a lot of um, scrutiny because of that. But I think that it really is the healthiest way to think about, you know, child rearing. Mm -hmm. Because you have to think about what you're bringing into the world and how you're going to raise them. Like that's, you can't, anyways, that's a a bigger conversation, but it's present in this film. Absolutely. I would love to talk a little bit. We talked some about the cinematography, but just like as a whole, like I think that Yorgos does a lot um, in this film, Yorgos and uh, Thymios, with like the very stagnant, like static shots. Like you talked a little bit about like them cutting off people's head, like kind of, I don't know, losing of one's identity almost in that. And then also just like this, there's there's an immense lack of movement, which is different than a lot of his films. Like there's not a lot of camera movement happening, at least not that I recall. And I think that it works really, really well to create this very trapped, immovable environment. You know what I mean? I think that the atmosphere and the way that it's shot lends a lot to the themes of what is going on in this film and these kids' like inner worlds. Um, yeah. I don't know if you had any specific thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really beautiful to look at. A lot of natural light. It's also shot in anamorphic, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of filmmakers will do that, though, when they're trying to show this trapped feeling, they will shoot the anamorphic which is really interesting because it's kind of like the opposite thing. I mean, anamorphic is making the shot super wide and super like, uh, like was it narrow? I guess I can't think of the word like when it's like short. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. uh, it, it kind of closes in the frame to smaller than, than it would be but it is super wide. And I think that also adds to this kind of trap feeling. Um, and this these long, stagnant, wide shots, uh, they just look long takes. I like that he doesn't really cut a lot. We're not getting like, it's not like shot reverse shot, which almost doesn't do much of any throughout his yeah. entire career. But uh, it's just cool to note that this is something that he's been playing with his entire, like from the very beginning. Really intentional uh, shots. He's not just shooting coverage. <laughs> like, it's very intentional. And then you have like the difference between these you know, super static wide shots and then like these kind of more free shots when they're out and running after each other and like this this quote-unquote freedom when they're not really free but to them in their perspective it's like from their it's from their inner world you know i i was also kind of thinking on this uh the conversation between the cinematography and the production design even and like how beautiful this environment looks like the outside is very green and lush and it's like it looks really beautiful and does kind of make me feel like i mean why would you ever want to leave something so beautiful like i get that as well and mm-hmm. the the manipulation of that because it does look it's just like the production the design is is gorgeous and i think that in conversation with those very static shots it's it's doing a lot of of the brunt work of the themes of this film honestly well and then you also have like when their costume like they'll be yeah and like pure white like you're saying like white t-shirts and white underwear or like white shorts and they're against this like lush greenery or they'll be inside against these like tans and these whites inside and it just is a very uh it kind of reminds me of the visual style of Attenberg too there was like a lot of whites and big big light pouring into rooms with like white bed sheets and mm-hmm. white clothes you know I think it's a very simplified like stark version of of I mean and also you gotta think about their you know like a uh, significantly small budget so it's also probably uh in terms of budget to what is most affordable but it works it 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 adds to the tone rather than detracts from it. Yeah. I, is this the, for me, this is the worst Yorgos face smash. I did not know what this you were about to say. To watch. It's it's the hardest to watch. Absolutely. Because it's the most disturbing, I think. It's the most disturbing. I could not, I actually could not look. Like it, I usually, that doesn't bother me. I'm not really sensitive to stuff like that, but I genuinely could not watch this one. It well, was really bad. And I found myself very, like genuinely shocked when she did it multiple times. Like after the first one, I was like, yeah. okay, this is enough. And then she kept, doing it 
how did they? It's also very that? childish like... the way she does it. I don't know how he does any of them. Like he does them all. He must have a he must have a method at this point. So that's the first question I will ask him when I interview him one like, day. How like your girls, what is what is the secret to this? She's not actually smashing her face, right? Like yeah, I mean maybe it's like a prop dumbbell. It just has no weight to it. Uh, like <sighs> that's like my only thought to how that could be achieved. Uh, but yeah, it, yeah, like it's very childish the way she does it. It's just kind of like it, it reminds you like the way a child would just do something stupid and they're like oh shit yeah <laughs> like i should have done that but should have done that yeah she just knocks she knocks her tooth she, out she, she gets rid of her dog, dog tooth, tooth. um <sighs> systematically is just such a great like this is we can talk a little later about the specific specifics of this but i think that this might be my favorite script that after miss philippou and uh your girl the most have written together like i think yeah. it's really really great and this is actually uh after miss philippou's first script he ever wrote really yeah your girl the most like went to him and he was like hey i have an idea like and they began writing the scenes and then they kind of wrote the scenes without a plot and then they found like they he said it, it lasted two years because we had to work because this is not a proper way to make a living <laughs> i feel that very, so hard <laughs> just very 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 true uh and hilarious that this titan filmmaker has said this it's on a record of saying this so um but yes uh his first script but genuinely super impressive oh yeah all the little like it's uh, all the little bookends are there it's very cyclical all of the things come back and very thematically rich but yeah she knocks out her dog too and now Hopefully she can a few leave. other teeth honestly uh, in the <laughs> <laughs> um yeah she's just a bloody mess she looks crazy um okay so i had a thought when i first was watching it i was having this like internal monologue with myself and she goes outside and she gets in the trunk um and then we had the scene of like everybody looking for her which is unsuccessful bruce yeah, bruce yeah during that whole time i'm in my head thinking i think it was a bad filmmaking choice to uh show her getting into the trunk ah like, you think that so much it should just I, I was, on the trunk well i was thinking it would be so much more significant if i'm just talking about my thought process i was thinking it would be much more significant if they did not they just showed her leaving and they didn't really show the result of what she where they just showed um the other side of it which is her family looking for her and that she cannot be found with mm -hmm. like the bloody sink and then we have this the next day when he goes to work and then we see her uh getting out of the trunk and leaving but this is also me thinking that the last shot would be her getting out of the trunk yeah she leaving. can't get out of the trunk but <laughs> my understand with with the way that it works and and she gets in the trunk they leave and then it's this last shot of but my thing is i don't even know if that's the i don't think i don't know if it's that she can't get out of the trunk no i don't mean literally i mean the rules of the world are she can't drive the car so she couldn't drive the car because she, she, her dog tooth had not grown back so her only choice was to get in the trunk so now she can be in the car but she can't be in the outside world remember because the outside world is dangerous so it's safe in the car so she can't that's, so yeah yeah, yeah but, but she that's, can't that's what car. i thought was <laughs> she can't drive the car that's what i thought was so beautiful too i was like this last shot just the trunk is just representative of she is free but she's not free but she's not because so, she's still know, stuck it, it, in the in the in her mind in the rules in this in the system you know in the in the rules that they've established for her yeah and her uh lack of knowledge um which is not to say but i love that it ended there because it's not to say that she will that her that now that she's had this new awakening to what the world can be with the films and with her own kind of uh bucking against the system there's nothing to say that she won't buck against the rules and just leave the trunk that could very well be a possibility but i like that we don't see that just, yeah. just the end of our understanding of this story is that maybe for now she's trapped for now maybe she yeah will, this is her first step right it's her first step literally yeah. yeah like she's taking these little steps she's trapped right now 
now. Maybe in an hour. <laughs> Maybe it takes literally just that an hour. She will get out of the trunk and be like, okay, I can do this. But uh, I don't know. There's just something about ending in, in the confines of what the story has laid out for us, the rules that the story has laid out for us, and not anything past that. I think it's just so brilliant. I think it's a great, brilliant ending. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would have been, I think, disappointed if she got out of the trunk. Um, I didn't think much on the shot of her getting in necessarily but i do it does feel kind of like it's very much that that thing that we talked about in the lobster where it's like yeah they're free quote unquote but he still has to blind himself because they still live in in the in the world that they live in under the rules that they believe are are law or not law but that they believe are are real Mm -hmm. and so it's i think it's just that it's like yes she she was able to leave the house but she's still doing it under the guise of the rules that she believes are like what she has to follow Mm -hmm. she can't leave if unless until her or she can't drive until her dog tooth grows back in and she can't be out in the world outside of the car it's just all it's like very twisted and dark and sad and hopeful in a weird way but not that hopeful i feel like maybe that's just how Mm -hmm. i interpreted it (laughs) no yeah i think it is i think it is kind of both in a way um did you how do you feel about the cat is that that disturb you a lot or (laughs) how do you feel I mean, it it it's like kind of funny. Like that was hilarious. I'm sorry. I thought it was so freaking funny the way he like the shot of him up. like stabbing it like is funny. Yorgos is like he said. Bad he said the cat is alive. Maybe people are worried about the cat, perhaps more than other things that are more worrying. Yeah, for real. Like, like it's, it's uh but he said he found that the cat was blind that's why the cat wasn't running away when he came towards it with with the shears because like, the real life cat was blind i thought that was really funny um <clears throat> i want to bring up this case this real life case in mexico which uh was titled but people called it the castle of purity it's a child abuse case um it was like this uh man in the 1950s who kept his uh wife and children he had seven six children um locked in to their family home in an old dilapidated home in Mexico City for 18 years. And there was a movie made from it a Spanish movie years later and people have said that people have tried to accuse of copying uh, this this case in this film to make Dogtooth but Yorgos has gone on record many times and said that he's never like he did not know the case before before he wrote this film and that uh, it kind of just came from his own interest and imagination Um, I don't know I think that's an interesting thing to bring up there's been a lot of controversy a lot of Greek critics in particular were kind of attacking quote unquote attack him uh for possibly copying this story when uh yeah but i also think that there are so many instances throughout history of things like this happening of people like isolating their family you know what i mean that i mean yes like there's similarities but i feel like there's there's that's just like a common thought that people have is like what if someone were to isolate their children away from the world you know what i mean like i feel like that's very much present in a lot of media so maybe the timing is what makes it kind of controversial or kind of like suspicious but i don't know i think the film was made in 1972 oh okay so it's older the case was 1950 the movie was 1972 yeah so then i feel like it's definitely a mexican film um and yeah i don't know i just think it's uh quite interesting that uh people kept bringing this up in the press conference i think actually a year i think in 2008 2009 a case came out of something similar in i want to say australia um of a man locking his daughter in, in the basement and not letting her see the real world and um 
like kind of treating her like an animal and this came out and people tried to accuse him of not accuse him but asked him if that was the inspiration he's and that case was uh actually came out like a couple a little bit after they finished shooting the film so it's also interesting uh that this kind of popped up around that time and it was kind of in the conversation when people were talking about this yeah i just think that things like this happen unfortunately often throughout history or they have happened a lot of the time throughout history and i think that it's always going to be something interesting that people are going to make stuff about like when i was in high school my this is like very specific my freshman year of high school my his that i was in like a world history class or whatever and like the first like month and a half of our class we did this whole unit on like isolation studies and like we mm-hmm. read through all of these different cases that are exactly this like children that had been raised completely isolated from society like the wolf child case like all of those things and it was it was basically meant to, to kind of talk about the importance of culture and the importance of like uh h- like human interaction and it was like a big like nature versus nurtured conversation that we had but ever since then i've always thought about how like prevalent those kinds of cases are in society and like i don't know i think there's a lot of the thing about like having children is that it's really easy to have them like obviously for some people it's not but but it's kind of just this thing that like you do this natural act that we all have like an instinct to do and then you have this child and and, like that's so much easier than like actually teaching somebody how to raise a family and raise a child and so unfortunately because of that we end up with all these kids or all these instances like this where people are stunted and and have been abused in this way i feel like i'm going off on a tangent but yeah i i don't know i think that there's stories like this all over the world and yeah i don't think that he was necessarily taking from one specific one i think it was more an amalgamation of of honestly like a thought experiment uh, i think it was like a what if situation yeah. for him yeah and Ephemus for both of them anyways anything else to say about dog two <laughs> i have things that i want to say but they're kind of in in conjecture with our weird wave film so i feel like i should save them i'll say one more thing okay about this film um <clears throat> yeah i mean when this film came out people were super excited about it obviously just to kind of talk about the international implications that it had it did super good at film festivals internationally it won the pricks uncertain regard at Cannes film festival 2009 which is kind of award for kind of different off you know left of center films it's like not as prestigious as the palm d'or but it is you know kind of like second fiddle to the palm d'or a little bit yeah still a very very great uh award for it to have one it's very prestigious and yeah at the time the greek prime minister Prime Minister George uh, Papandreou uh, ended his cabinet meeting in 2011 by saying that the news that the film Dog Tooth by Yorgos Lanthimos is nominated for Best Foreign Language Film goes far beyond the world of cinema, arts, and culture. It concerns the whole culture, the whole country, its people, through the generation of artists who follow the motto, yes, we can do it during difficult times. Uh, I won't say that the news shows that miracles happen because the success of Yorgos Lanthimos is based on hard work, talent, and its endless success. Uh, its endless p- potential, I'm sorry. Features that characterize creative forces which lead Greece to a new era. Forces which deserve our support and they will have it. Bravo, Yorgos. That made me emotional just now. <laughs> now, I don't know much about George. I think he might be a controversial figure in yeah, who knows? politics. But that's a very sweet statement, uh, nevertheless. Uh, well, and I think that's important. like that's very much what I think our entire series has been about is like this this kind of championing of this very specific time of Greek filmmakers and really overcoming a lot of adversity financially, socially, internationally. I mean, the fact that this film was nominated for an Academy Award, I think, says a lot for the state of like Greek artists at the time. And Yorgos is literally now an internationally acclaimed filmmaker. Like, yeah. 
he's gone far beyond just the the country that he's come from, which I'm sure has its pros and its cons, but it is a testament to his talent and his uh, hard work. So yeah, Dogtooth. Love I'll watch Dogtooth, everybody. For Please real, watch for real. it. Yeah, it's it's a really really good one. Just you should you should have watched this film if you love your ghost not the most. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about our weird way feature. Yeah, let's do it. Let me take a shot really quick. Okay, bloody Antonis. Cheers. Cheers. Weird wave feature. All right. The Eternal Return of Antonis Paraskevas, uh, written and directed by Alina Siko, with producers Yorgos Karnavas and Alina, and Alina Siko. The cinematographer was Dionysus Ethimopoulos. It was edited by Nikos Vavouris, with music composed by Yanis Veslimes. And it stars our father from Dogtooth. Christos. Christos Stargioglu. Yeah, The Eternal Return of Antonis Parskivas, I what what do you think? What do you what are you feeling? What are you thinking? I mean, Tell you me. already you already seem a lot more excited about this film than I, I know. am. Overall, I do, which is fine. I didn't I didn't love this film, and I mean that might just be like a product of me having done this as a as a true double feature with Dogtooth. Okay. Uh, and this was the second film that I watched. Uh, it, it's very slow, especially in the beginning. Yeah, and it's very <laughs> quiet, <laughs> and yeah, it's very slow and very quiet for a very long time, and it. For me, it didn't really capture and hold my attention uh, as well as Dogtooth did. And I think that uh, I I really thought the performance was great. Uh, I think it's, I, we didn't really shout him out in the last film, but he was really, really great in Dogtooth. And he was great yeah, in this as well. He was great he was in very, this. Very talented performer. I loved like Christus. the music sequence. I thought that was really cool. Oh my God, yes. I forgot <laughs> I to really leave. Funny. Yeah, I thought that was great. But um, yeah, a lot of it didn't meld for me in the way that I, I was expecting it to. This is another one of those films like a lot of these great films we're talking about where the premise it doesn't really do what I expect it to do that with when when I hear the premise you know it's like the premise of someone of a um, talk show host who uh, decides to go into hiding pretty much right it's like he decides to um, uh, fake his disappearance and I'm like oh that sounds really kind of kooky and interesting and it's not that really in the beginning it's just very we don't again we don't really get the explanation of what yeah we don't know what's happening going on. for a long time we just see this guy kind of going into hiding and it's driving and it's kind of coming to this hotel so uh what do you think i love this movie <laughs> <laughs> i really 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 enjoyed the most of this film if not all of it there's like and i think what's interesting is that honestly the like the first two thirds of it is what i was really was like really enjoying which i feel like is the slowest part of the film so i don't know mm-hmm. what like it because it very much is very i don't know it was just like the first half of this film was basically just the shining like i was like am i watching a kubrick film right now like that's how it felt the entire time I was watching it, which I feel like The Shining kind of feels like a very slow, boring film for a lot of it. Yeah. And so this to me, like the whole time I was like, is this a retelling of The Shining? Like, is that what's happening? Because that's how it felt like. Obviously, there's all these like very mundane, like slow things happening with really interesting cinematography, all these really interesting kind of moving shots. And 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 then all of a sudden a lot happens, you know what I mean? Which is exactly, I think, the the formula of, of Kubrick's The Shining. Um, um, but all that is to say that I think that a lot of the 
this film worked for me just kind of in its in the absurdity of like the actual things that we were seeing and also like the grander implications of why the story was unfolding the way that it was unfolding um i really enjoyed it the like i think our lead christos was incredible his performance was incredible his and again it's another de-evolution of man story which i guess is just yeah <laughs> just great cinema at this point yeah. um and i found a lot of things really interesting also i wanted to shout out that argus papajimantropolis who directed suntan and uh wasted youth which we talked about last week got a special thanks in the credits of this film so i'm not oh, sure exactly that. that's cool i'm not exactly sure what his role in it other than um, obviously he was supportive of it but he got a special thanks and it also features silas uh azu marcus who is in both of those films as well suntan and wasted youth he plays the like host that's like replacing um oh, yeah. the main character but for for the listeners just really quickly basically the premise of this film is that it follows this man who um we discover throughout the film it was this very famous uh like news broadcaster or like not really a news broadcaster like morning talk show host um in greece and uh he has faked his own kidnapping because what we learned is that he is in like an an immense amount of debt and so his plan is basically to create this big media storm about his disappearance in hopes that the headlines will lead to some positive career for him after he returns basically but then you kind of get i don't know i think the implication of returning for him becomes really dangerous and really scary and then he just like totally de-evolutionizes that's not a word <laughs> i like that though de-evolutionizes <laughs> and then the end of the film he kind of goes crazy but i i this was my jam i really enjoyed it for me the part that lost me was when he left the hotel like that that little section mm -hmm. of the film before him returning and after he's left the hotel is when i was kind of like okay we're repeating a lot of the same thing but the stuff of him like yeah, yeah. making the the trying to do the spaghetti thing for a long time like that was really interesting to yeah. me like <laughs> over and over again and just like seeing him just like being so totally bored and then becoming paranoid that like someone's watching him like i was really invested in all of that part of the story yeah yeah there was just so much like watching of the tv and like <laughs> i was just like okay <laughs> i guess i was just in the perfect space headspace to watch it kept losing me i was like oh i'm drifting off okay i'm back like and yeah it, it was a it was a harder watch for me but yeah there were glimpses of, of really interesting stuff and i thought it was a really interesting storyline i do think i will like briefly get into this and i'm gonna try to not be as as long-winded as i feel like i could be about this but i think there's a <laughs> there's a big conversation that this film has I don't know I guess how do I want to say this so like we have been talking about this right this like weird wave quote-unquote this like postmodernism in Greek cinema throughout this series and we talk about how like the Greek financial crisis is what a lot of people kind of dictate this time period and these like pe these pieces of cinema being created around and I think this is one of the probably this and I would say wasted youth both in conjecture are two of the films that I think are having the biggest conversation with the financial crisis as a whole like like this film is a direct response i think to the financial crisis we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast
podcast. I did a little bit of research on the actual crisis because I feel like I was a little bit uneducated on the course of events. And listeners, hang with me. I'm going to demify this as best as best I can because I'm not an economist and I'm not a financial strategist. But a basic timeline of what was happening in Greece in the late 90s, early 2000s that led to and and a lot of the world was experiencing this. But in the like late 90s, Greece was spending a bunch of money on social benefits, programs, boosting wages, all these things that was making it a really wonderful place to live in because people were, you know, getting paid appropriately. They were like, they had all these social programs that were really positive. But because the country was spending all of this money on those things, they were going into like a huge amount of debt. And so in 1999, the Greece's like debt was so large that they were not going to be allowed to transition into the euro, which is a big part of the plot of this film. Or not a big part, but was something that we see in this film. We see like him rewatching that videotape that he made uh, as a newscaster when Greece finally adopted the euro and they were officially the first country to adopt it because of the time change in 2001. They were uh, the time zone that Greece is in is before all the other European Union countries. And so they were the first country to, to officially adopt the euro. So, but in 1999, when they were first having conversations about the euro, Greece was not going to be allowed to transition into using it because their debt was too large. So an American financial company by the name of Goldman Sachs, you may have heard of it, stepped in to Greece's political and economic system and implemented a currency swap that basically just made the debt not look as bad. Kind of lying, kind of fishy. Yes, America was involved in this. And so in 2001, as we see in the film, Greece was allowed to adopt the euro and they become the first nation to do so. So now Greece is like playing with the big leagues. They have the euro. They're able to be a part of this kind of international economy that is happening with the euro. And it's in spending is up with the industries that Greece has. So mainly tourism, natural resources, olive oil, fish, things like that. So it looks like, you know, the economy's booming, whatever, but Greece is still in like a huge amount of debt, like a lot, a lot, a lot of debt that no one's really talking about. They're kind of like, yay, people are coming to Greece to for tourism and for vacation, even though they have like literally no money. So then of course, as we all know, in 2008, there's this like huge real estate crisis that's happening in the United States and it causes an international recession across every everyone basically slows down tourism and shipping so greece now has no real economy because no one is spending money to be in greece and they are extra 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 broke on top of that it is revealed in 2009 that they are in more debt than they actually said that they were in um they've literally been lying to the entire world about how much debt they're in and so greece is basically fucked (laughs) so between the years of 2010 and 2012 greece is thrown a lifeline by a group called the troika which is a group that exists within the European Union and they basically lend Greece a whole bunch of money to help them get out of debt but they implement all of these new like restructuring tactics within the Greek economy and that includes layoffs, raising taxes, and cutting wages. So now all the people in Greece are pissed and they hate Troika and there's all this unrest that happens between the people in Greece in like in like the late 2010 or the early 2010s that's happening where no one has any money and uh, unemployment is at an all-time high and everyone's mad 
sad and upset. And I think that's, anyways, that's a long-winded way to say that this film is a direct response to all of that unrest. You're seeing this man whose, like, livelihood is fully taken away from him because of this Greek financial crisis. I wanted to bring that up because I feel like that gives a framework for a lot of what we have kind of mentioned when talking about this weird boy films. But I think that the reason why people were making movies about, like, the emotional impact of it is not, is less, has less to do with the fact that they were poor and more to do with the fact that they had all of their, like, individual rights as, like, consumers stripped from them. And so there's mm. this immense feeling of lack of control over your own finances, your own lives. Like, people were only allowed to spend a certain amount of money on certain things. Like, it got really, really dicey there for, for a minute for a lot of people. And, and now, one third of Greek people are still at risk of poverty today. So, anyways, like wow. I said, that was a long-winded explanation of this crisis, and I'm sure that I got some of it wrong, but that's like a dumbified version of what really led to this like quote-unquote postmodern Greek weird wave that we've been talking about in art. There's also this interesting conversation with like journalism and news outlets that happened as well where a lot of those outlets became government run and funded because the private companies could not withstand the financial crisis. And because of that, the government had a chokehold on journalism and the news. And so there was a lot of misinformation and propaganda coming out about the government, like pro-government from these trusted sources. And so again, that there's there's a lot to wow. talk about there and a lot to dive into, but... But I mean, I think you could see like the way that that correlates in a lot of these films and a lot of like, even like Euros' film, a lot of these themes of like this lack of control, you know, like there's like this, these systems who are in control and abusive and uh, the little people in, inside that kind of have to deal with these rules and these things that are outside of their control. You see, like that's all of Euros' films pretty much. Um, yeah. And a lot of these films we've talked about, it, it's it's going over these these themes. Well, and that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up is that like, that like, yes, I think that this this film, The Eternal Return of Antonis Paraskevas, is is a little bit more on the nose as far as like talking about the actual like financial state of this person and, and why he does and the downfall of him because of that. But I think that like those ideas are definitely exist in Dogtooth and exist in Alps, exist in all of the films we talked about is just this this Yorgos's fascination with an oppressive structure and an oppressive ruler control, whatever like figure that that creates these rules that people just follow because that they think that that's what they're supposed to do. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting, I think Yorgos has been able to shift those feelings into a much more emotional way for like his viewers. And I think that that could be why his films maybe feel less tied down to a specific time and place than other films might. But they're, they're definitely in conversation with each other and in conversation with the the feelings of like, I don't know, a lot of these, these I mean, obviously they're all Greek that are making these films, but how people might be feeling at this time anyways yeah thanks for thanks for that uh that bite of knowledge oh i'm so sorry if i got any of that wrong but that's a basic overview (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh watch this movie watch eternal i keep wanting to say like i don't even know what eternal return (laughs) of antonis paraskevas (laughs) yes watch it do you want to have a a brief pre-oscar chat about host nomination discourse
I mean, I just kind of wanted to chat about the drama. So, Oscar nominations came out, and now everybody is... Well, there's a lot of discourse surrounding the uh, Oscar nominations. We haven't talked about this yet, and I just kind of want to chat with a little bit about what's happening. I think it's very interesting, and it's very uh, specific. I'll just kind of get my take on it uh, first, and then we can open up the conversation. But, uh, as we all know, uh, nominations came out. Greta Gerwig was, was not nominated in Best Director, and Margot Robbie was not nominated in Best Actress. So, a lot of stuff been going out. Uh, a lot of think pieces have been written. <laughs> Hillary Clinton's involved. Yeah. There's a lot of like voices. Uh, there's a lot of voices everywhere about this situation. And I think it's really interesting because I, I was sitting back and I was thinking like, why this? Why this year? Why are we talking about this so heavily? Because it really kind of grew into something that I've never really seen before in terms of response to an Oscar nominations. Yeah. And this is probably the first year in, in forever that uh, people watched two of the Best Picture nominees because two of the Best Picture nominees this year are two of the, the are the two highest grossing films of 2023, yeah. which is Barbenheimer. Yeah. So everybody saw these films in theaters and so everybody is now feeling personally involved. <laughs> yeah, feeling involved in the conversation which is great because we want people to care about the movies we want people to watch movies we want people to care about the Oscars because they're they're important to film history but people are joining this conversation without really being I think informed yeah, fully about about everything without having seen all of the films without knowing how the process of the Oscars really work you know about how the nominations work about who the voters are I think people are just seeing like the Oscars the Academy as this big I was having a conversation with some friends last night and we we're talking about the Oscars and like the Grammys and the Emmy and they were just saying I like oh like this like they're like kind of pointing out like this picture of this evil academy who vote <laughs> for you know who vote for every and not really understanding that the people who vote for these categories are the people like they the actors vote for the actors the directors vote for the directors like it's the, it's a, it is peers they're giving peers, their peers yeah. an award yeah. for for uh excellence in their field you know what I'm saying it's like if I was a carpenter and I was in like a carpenter community and I was like oh we're gonna honor one carpenter in our community every like it's just very it's just it's not as a as a big bad evil whatever that as, as it seems because it's like you have this name the academy and I think that is kind of what is like making this this discourse so kind of frustrating and annoying yeah. but also kind of funny because it's just like it's hilarious uh, to me honestly it's, it's funny it's it is it's not as serious as anybody's making it out to me <laughs> like in, in reality like really it's not that serious at all because in my opinion I think this idea that a film and I say it quote unquote a film like Barbie because it is a blockbuster popcorn flick first that's what it's trying to be first it's a great movie but it first is a big brand which is Mattel giving a billion dollars to you know like to a company to make this film to in one hand promote the company to promote their their uh brand but also to give you know way to Greta Gerwig to make a really important film that she wanted to create everything that the film is that the the things that make the film special are because of Greta Gerwig and her vision to make it that way it could have been directed by anybody and it could have been like just like a big you know it could have been like freaking I don't know like a San Andreas like yeah it could have yeah. been like, yeah. like you know, one of those just like popcorn films, and it is still a popcorn film, but it also has it's like an art house popcorn film. It's like yeah. blending those things together. So I guess I guess I just think it's like it is very cool that it's got that it got eight nominations, and I I, I don't know I don't want to say that they are snubs, but I do agree that that um they're all they are both very deserving of nominations. Yeah, but a very competitive year. I digress. What are your feelings? I how have you how have you been taking the discourse? Well, are you chatting with Hillary? Did she text you? Yeah, me and Hillary are are in conversation. No, it's funny because I was actually having a conversation. <laughs> 
conversation <laughs> about this exact thing yesterday with our friend Jordan because I was just like the internet has like lost its mind about something that I just feel like it's a lot of like social justice heroes that don't know what they're talking about like that's and I hate to say that but like this idea that them not getting nominated is like from an anti-feminist standpoint and there's a big conversation to have about this but like like they were are I'll speak just about Margot Robbie she lost that spot to other women it's not like it's not like yes you know what that's I mean? the yeah that's the main kicker for me so right I'm like, like okay like, so yeah. sure but then also and and I will say that I think that it is telling that and it, and it hurts a little bit that the film as a whole was so celebrated like every aspect of it was celebrated by the Academy except for the two women that made it happen like that stings and I I recognize that pain and I recognize that there are feelings about that because I have feelings about that but I do also recognize that both of those categories are just really fucking stacked this year like I don't yeah. think that they were beat out by people that were undeserving well I'm not going to go into directors but I don't think that they were okay. beat out by <laughs> I don't think that they were like beat out by people that were undeserving of being in those categories you know what I mean like the best actress category I think is a is a, a wonderful co collection of of actors I also think there there are people that didn't get into that category that are more deserving than Margot Robbie honestly like I think Anjanou Ellis Taylor, Taylor should have been nominated personally like like Greta Lee like there are like Greta people Lee, who I think like, were rightfully like truly snubbed like you know what I'm saying like yeah. truly yeah but I, I also do want to present that yes that uh, I'm gonna use Margot Robbie's example currently like she was not she didn't make the film happen she's like primarily a per like she is a primary source of how this film came to be yes um and she wasn't honored in best actress but she, she was, was honored, honored in best picture yeah. as a producer yeah she, you know what I'm saying like, she if, did get a, a nomination like if they were if that film were to win best picture she would go up on stage like that yes and accept but and work. I also feel like most of I feel like so much of her narrative and that's really important is this narrative in these awards conversations leading up to uh Barbie being created I feel like every conversation that I, I listen to her have like, these actors to actors even and these magazines oh, she was yeah. she would talk about how much work she put in as a producer as a producer not that was as, like her yeah. main kind of driving home point well she even yeah, like so, talks, I, so I feel like when she, she even talks about how when she agreed to produce the film she was never slated to be the lead like that was never in her mind yes so yeah 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 so I just think that like uh whatever there's to say about it I think she I think to say that she didn't get honored for what she did she did like she got she got honored for how much work she put in as a producer because she talks about it she's like it was like hard work it was like three years of my life like, yeah. she's like I was in conversation with Greta like working on the script like you know like all of this stuff that she did like she's like I was the one helping like throw these like we, wa we wa watch a movie as a cast every Sunday and as a crew at this theater like and I was a part of planning this like she talks about the work that she did behind the scenes and I think in that case she truly did get honored for the work that she did as a producer and I, I also just want to say that I think that that is just so cool I, I think it's really unprecedented to see an actress like Margot Robbie and when I say like Margot Robbie I just mean who has so much of her career just been an actress yeah uh be nominated as a producer for a film that she starred in but also for a film of this size you don't really yeah. see like you don't really see actor producer um actor producers who are women uh creating films that are that are the highest grossing film of the year I think that has never happened ever in the history of the Academy and Awards. not only producer but also 
also like the production company that she created, like she co-created and yes. she co-runs is the production, her production company, company that produced this piece. Yeah. 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 Like she, uh, I just think that she's so cool. The fact that she has this production company, the fact she, she put so much work into this and like whenever you see her talking, she talks so heavily about like, yeah, I'm trying to get this produced. I'm like in conversation with this person. Like she, she produced freaking Saltburn. Like she, she yeah. produces many films a year, like many, I don't know. It just kind of like, I think it kind of dilutes it to, to make the, the big conversation, the big talking point of this nomination like be oh snub is thing that she did something incredible in her own right that really hasn't been done before yeah no and i mean but look you know the internet has no no space for nuance the internet has no space for like you know research and it's just a place for people to shit on everything and you know like that and and like some of it has been fucking hilarious like i like i get it the hillary tweet was hilarious i'm sorry i don't know why hillary got involved i don't know (laughs) what that means for the world i don't know <laughs> i feel bad for america ferrera yeah like wrestling made like a thing Bobby feels bad too. he's not like damn this does not look good <laughs> like, yeah it, it's a lot and i guess wonder what like greta and mark are thinking like what they text each other about all of this shit i'm <laughs> sure I, I i don't know it'd just be funny if they're like what is going on right now <laughs> why is this because then it's also doing this really weird reverse thing where it's making people it's like turning the conversation on barbie now people are trying to like be a hater on barbie as yeah. a whole like, it's kind of doing it's really sad because that's not really what we were seeing before you know but but the discourse is kind of dampening barbie's kind of momentum or barbie's not its impact ever but really i don't know how people are seeing it right now it's kind of it's kind of weird it is weird and this whole like oh all the people that are outraged about greta and and margo like are just proof of like white feminism and it's like yeah i just like that wasn't part of the conversation before and now it is and it's also again missing some of the nuance of it as well like but also that probably is very present in the conversation from a lot of the people that were posting that because they themselves were not educated on the nuance of what was going you know what i mean it's just like it's creating yeah. this cesspool of like shit. i mean i think <laughs> it, i think it really is only that in a sense because it is because it is taking up so much of a conversation like it is yeah. overshadowing lily gladstone's accomplishments yes. it is overshadowing america ferrera's uh, america ferrera's uh, accomplishments yes it's overshadowing like justine trier like being an international yeah, like, filmmaker you know what i'm saying it's, it is overshadowing all these other great like coleman domingo is the first afro latino to ever be nominated for best actor yes. like a lot of these things it's overshadowing um because people are just being so loud about it and it's like take a second to look at look at the whole situation instead of dialing into something really specific but that you don't have the full knowledge for yeah it's it's crazy it's a lot it's crazy (laughs) it's already making it a very interesting uh award season so i i'm interested to see whether what this does to for barbie whether it could go one of two ways people could kind of buck against it and be like okay fuck the discourse and it maybe wins like just best song uh and that's it instead of maybe like it would could have won like best production design best hair and makeup da, da, da. Uh, or people could be like oh we feel bad that margot and Greta were quote-unquote snubbed so we're going to do the opposite and just vote for them in a lot more and stuff a lot of stuff to. yeah i think yeah it's just gonna there's it's gonna be one extreme i don't know which one it's gonna be but it's gonna be interesting to watch sure there's gonna be here jokes about it at the academy awards we'll see how they respond to it in real time i'm sure uh yikes I, I don't know i just think it's gonna be so like so much unnecessary baggage to something that didn't have any baggage you know like yeah it's gonna it's gonna add a lot to the to the conversation which is annoying the drama i will say that 
I think that this, I don't think, I know that this is the first year because of this podcast. This is the first year that I have already seen every single film nominated for Best Picture before the nominations came out. And I think that that's given me, me as a human being a lot of context for what is to come and also just given me, I feel like, more knowledge on the conversations. And all of that is to say that I'm very grateful that we have been so focused on it because I think that it's opened my mind to a lot of different things. Oh, yeah. And I also think that, yeah, I think that like, I'm, I like, I don't know, I've just watched so many more movies and I, and I have always loved movies, but I've really been actively like going out of my way to see a lot of things that I wouldn't have done in the past. And I think that because of that, I've become, this is a weird thing to say, but a better movie, movie, movie viewer <laughs> and a yeah. better like movie conversationalist. And then I think that that extends into like everything, right? So that's my soapbox to say, yes, Barbie was incredible. One of my favorite films of the year. Go see all the other movies too, guys. And then we can really have a conversation. <laughs> yes. Yes. Watch the, all the movies and let's talk about it. Because there are some also other really incredible, important movies that came out last year. Yeah. Like, there's movies that didn't yeah, even get nominated yeah. that we need to talk about. So like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just, just, you know, I know it's hard. Like people don't go to the movie theater anymore unless it's like a special event. And it's sad because it's just like the state of the world, like after COVID especially. But, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. Yeah. But, well, and I will say like Barbie was special to me because it was the first time since before COVID that I was in a theater that was packed. And I was like, oh, this is like a cultural yeah. phenomenon. Like, yeah. this is fun. Like, we were all... Well, that was me with, yeah, that was me with Barbie and Oppenheimer. Like, yeah. I like literally the theaters were packed. To the brim with both of those. Like, it was crazy. And I think that that really um, did change my my yeah. experience as a viewer in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, go see a movie tomorrow, everyone. Go see a movie tomorrow. <laughs> Hell. That's my challenge. Turn the podcast off. Go watch a movie right That's now. my challenge to you. <laughs> and then let us know what All you right, think. Alright, everybody. This, is, this has been a this has been a long one yeah um <laughs> but uh we hope you enjoyed we'll talk soon um listen next week to uh to our podcast on canetta yes you're gonna the most is directorial debut <laughs> it'll be fun um we're going all the way back baby uh to the very first one all right guys and it'll be fun all right yes thank you for listening bye we love you thanks for listening to we'll film see you next time on film